What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. 17-year-old Katie Key was a well-liked and behaved student, but something happened when she was introduced to a boy who was much older than her by her friends. What happens when a relationship turns deadly? Join us as we examine the case of Katie Key on this episode of A Day With Crime. Welcome to A Day With Crime podcast, where a crime a day keeps the doctor away. Here are your hosts, David and Janita. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of A Day With Crime. We are your hosts, David. And Geneva. Today is October 23rd, 2018, which is a Tuesday as of shooting. Geneva, what's going down with you? How you feel? Looking good down there in Florida. Well, it's pretty rainy here right now. Uh, Also, my feet are hurting, you know, because I... Went back to a regular job. So, as most of y'all know, I mean, if you've been here since the beginning, I was doing some stuff, like, at a t-shirt shop, but I mostly just sat in a shop all day and did nothing. But I have, uh, as of, like, two weeks ago, I went back to, actually, two weeks ago today, I went back to my job at McDonald's. Don't hate, okay, because somebody's got to make y'all's food. Alrighty. So yeah, so I went back there and I, I mean, I like it. It's cool. Like the people I work with mostly are cool. And you know, I just be working the drive through. I'm the drive through girl. So that's how I am. Well, to that, all I have to say is to all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on the sesame seed bun. All right. Well, listen, if you, <laughs> whenever you can come and visit, you know, you get half off. I'm already fat. I'll just be a whole lot fatter with that 50% off, boy. I got to get my 50% off of fries, chicken nuggets, now that they real chicken. You get 50% off any meal that you want. Any meal. That's just fat. Nope. I know, right? Well, everything down here is going pretty well. I'm I'm extremely... I can't even talk today. I am extremely excited because this is the first day that we are not talking about Michael Peterson. Woo! Forgive oh, us, y'all, if we sounded like real annoyed at the last one because I listened back to that thirteenth episode, and I was like, "We Listen. sounded real like just <laughs> annoyed." <laughs> but I do, I actually do want to apologize um, because last week I put that it was the last episode, and it's actually this week because I was so excited that we had just recorded the last episode that I messed up. So 
Sorry about it. Yeah, really. Kinda... Like, I like I am sincerely sorry, but I was so excited because we had just recorded the last episode that I jumped ahead a week. So this week is really the last episode. Yeah, so, so that one should already be up if you listen to this. It was 13 weeks of The Staircase. Once again, we hope we did everybody justice on that, especially uh, Felix. I can't even talk. So I can't talk. I'm so happy. Phyllis, who is... Felix? <laughs> I know, huh? Just, uh, it's one of those days, dude. <laughs> who suggested that we do that. But now we are back to our regular format. So in case you guys didn't listen to last week's episode or you're just coming in, let me kind of give you what that last week's format is uh, before we get started on today's case because we want to kind of add a couple of little tweet, uh, twists to that. Uh, the good thing about doing a podcast over the last past almost now going into, what, four or five months yep. is you get to go back and you get to listen to certain things and then you get to figure out what the audience is responding to, what you are doing well, and what you can change. The one thing I am going to say for all you guys who have been with us from the beginning is thank you, because in the beginning, <laughs> our sound was horrific. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we had just crossed over to doing <laughs> podcasting. Uh, it is a whole lot different than doing YouTube videos, which later on this week or next week, if you go over to Patreon, if you're a patron over there, you'll hear exactly what it takes to do a podcast. Um, John Larton and Daniel Hallen has also made mention of this on Crime After Crime that is a little bit different equipment and technologies and everything that goes into that. So when you got good sound on YouTube, that don't necessarily translate over to good sound on podcasting. Right. So we found out, you know, I heard a lot of distortion and I was way too loud and the neighbor was way too soft. It was just a mess. Now we've kind of honed that in a little bit. So we think you guys are being with us. But the other thing that we kind of discovered is maybe we'll fix up the synopsis a little bit. I think at the beginning we were a little bit too concerned with giving you a really super quick synopsis and not really being a deep dive podcast and maybe we weren't giving you a, enough information. The truth of it is going to be is there's going to be some synopsis that's going to be long. There's going to be some that's going to be short uh, because of A, the information that's out there and the research that we can do, but B, we want to make sure you get all of the information that you need to get to make an informed decision or judgment on what we're talking about. So the way our format goes is we are not a deep dive podcast. We are a case by case podcast, which means we tackle one case at a time. We give you a synopsis of that case, and then we discuss that whole entire case, everything that went into it. So usually our cases is one week, right? So it's one day. So you get a different case every week. That's still going to happen, but there's going to be some cases uh, that's going to come up that may we have may have to tackle in two episodes because the enormity of the case is just that big. There's other series that we do want to do, like Making of a Murderer, that's on Netflix, but we don't want to take another 10, 12, 14 weeks. We pretty much figured out if we was to do Making a Murderer episode by episode now since We'd there is... We'd be here for a year. Right. Now that there's two <laughs> parts of that, we'll be here for a year. It took us three and a half months of U.S. counting to get through all of the staircase. Um, we probably would have been about a half month off of that pace or, or earlier if it wasn't for the unfortunate incidents that took place with us family-wise over that time. So we're still going to be your case-by-case. Case. We're just going to give you a little bit more of the synopsis. It's not going to be truly a deep dive, but there may be some cases where we are diving a lot deeper than what we intend to do because we got to talk about some things and we can't leave it out. Like, for instance, the case that we're going to do next week, which we already announced was this Molly Tibbetts. 
Uh, we're going to do the best with that one because that case is huge. You know, it's big. It's got a lot of stuff. And if we leave out one inkling of it, you miss the importance of the case. So that's our new format. We're just going to give you the synopsis as we see it. We hope you bear with us. If it's a long one, it's because we're giving you all the information and we hope that you run away or walk away and you feel informed. So back to the case-by-case synopsis. Me and Geneva will switch off every week. There might be some cases where we're doing a synopsis back-to-back, but that's how we've always done it. Uh, the way we kind of look at it is the person whose case it is is running the case. So that's usually the person that's done all the deep-dive information or research and knows everything. Even though the other person does the research, one person is kind of carrying the case and kind of filling in all the gaps. So format, regular again, case by case. If you have any case suggestions, send it to us through any of our social media outlets. But your synopsis now may be longer or shorter. And we will tell you at the beginning of the case if the synopsis is long or short and why that reason is, whether there's not enough information out there or we just have what we got or because this case is huge. Anything you want to say on our new format running for Geneva before we get started with today's case? Um, just that I think it's a good, I mean, the few changes that we've kind of made to the format, I think are good changes. So hopefully everyone likes the changes. All righty then. So we are going to jump into this case today. It is on a young lady by the name of Katie Key. Today's synopsis will not be real, real long because unfortunately, which I don't know why I mean, Geneva discussed this. For the case to be what it is, there is not a whole lot of information out there on this case. We literally had to dig and dive for the information that we had. There was a show on ID that's now in the second season called Home Alone. In season one, they featured this case uh, on their very first episode. But besides that, the little bit of stuff that's written in the press, that was it. There is no YouTube videos. There is nobody diving into the case. So hopefully we can do this justice. So Katie Nicole Key was born March 21st, 1989. Uh, she was a student at Greenville High School, where she was very, 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 very popular. I believe that's in North Carolina. It's actually West Green High. Uh, that's in North Carolina. She was very popular, very liked. Everybody loved her to death. Her parents had nothing really bad to even say about her. But in January 27th, her life kind of changed, and it kind of changed for the worse. So Katie was at 17 years of age when she met her soon-to-be boyfriend at that time. She met him during, or by meeting, um, I can't even talk today. She met him <laughs> by friends. <laughs> um, uh, and so they kind of hooked up, and she liked him, and they liked each other. So his name was Jason McCarney. The problem with this is that Jason was 29 and Katie is 17. She met him sometime around October, uh, September, October of 2006. And he ended up giving her a secret phone. Now, the secret phone was to talk to him. Now, if you ever watched the Home Alone, I think one of her friends says, I don't, or one of her friends, I think his friends or her mom says, I don't know why somebody would give uh, her, his girlfriend, a secret phone. Well, I can tell you why that is. is because he knew that he was too old. And if she had good parents and found out that the parents are going to say, you can't talk to him. So there was a secret phone. Uh, so this was a secret from Katie's parents. Katie's best friend knew, but she was the only one. So Katie had started to feel real guilty about the secret 
because she couldn't talk to her mom and it was starting to really weigh on her. So one night she's sitting in her home and she has a secret phone and the secret phone rings and she's sitting in the presence of her mom and her stepfather. And her mom kind of looks at her and says, what is that? And she goes, it's a phone. And she says, that ain't your phone because your phone is white. And then the phone (laughs) rings again. And she looks at her mom and says, it is not a, it's not a crime mom to have two phones in which her stepfather kind of chuckled a little bit. But then the phone call went from a text message to actually a phone call, and her mom said, give me the phone. So she ends up talking to Jason, and Jason pretty much tells her to stay out of it, that he is there and wants to talk to Katie to put Katie on the phone. And basically after that, he said, tell Katie I'm going to be outside. She yells, leave my daughter alone, and hangs up the phone. So in this case, I do the same thing. Stepfather Sam grabs his gun, runs outside. <laughs> to see what's going on and see if he can probably take this guy out if he was brave enough to come come on the premises. And the police was called at that time, but they didn't find him that night. So basically, the next morning, she's walking out of her house and she gets a text message from him saying, it was really cold in your barn last night. And they run in to discover that he indeed slept in the barn all night long. By this time, it now gets around to... Her mother starts to receive a, start, receive a text message, which was a picture on her phone. Now, I mm-hmm. should go back and tell you that the reason why Jason's probably acting this way right now is that Katie had broken off the relationship with him, and he did not want that. So, as you can figure it out, he turned into a stalker. So, when the mom right. received the text, she didn't know technology very well and said her phone wouldn't open it up. So, she asked Katie to assist her. And when Katie helped her open it up, it was a naked photo of Katie that was taken by Jason. The sad part of that is, is that now the mom, not knowing the relationship was there until now, is now more horrified the fact that now she knows her daughter has been intimate with this older guy to the point to where he's taking new photos and send them to her because he's upset. Uh, And this was over a four-month period that they end up dating. So after that, a week, uh, so they call the police on him again. Uh, he pretty much tells her, tell him to go. Jason ends up disappearing. Everybody thinks it's pretty cool. Her dad puts up motion sensor lights in the uh, outside, uh, just in case he comes back, so that there'd be a lot of security. And long story short of that, Jason pretty much disappears at this time. A week goes by. They heard nothing else from Jason at that point. So now Katie kind of thinks he's long gone. Both parents are still kind of worried about that. And then one night it comes down to where both parents work nights. Now, they have been advised not to leave Katie at home by herself. And this is what the cops have told them. Don't leave Katie home by herself. We don't know where he's at. Um, Katie, being a headstrong 17-year-old, was kind of like, oh, I don't think he's really here. Everything will be fine. And uh, one night her best friend was asked to spend the night, but the mom said she couldn't. And so what ends up happening is they both go to work. And for lack of a better turn, all hell pretty much breaks loose. Jason had been stalking outside of the home and had noticed that they had been gone, broke into the house. Now, she went and called her stepfather and the mom. They said, call 911. She called 911, went hiding in the closet, and Jason finds her along with a shotgun that he has in his hand. At that point, uh, he gets disturbed because they call the police, and, he, and the police is coming with blaring lights and everything. And he says, you ruined everything. Why have you called the police? 
Um, and she tries to talk him out of it. Four-hour standoff. Now, he did rope off the door. Now, he had some hiking rope, and he tied the door up really, really, really well to where nobody was going to just walk in. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And hit it and, and come in. So they talked about two and a half hours into the, the standoff. Everybody's there now. The cops is there. Mom is there. Dad is there. It's about two and a half hours in. Nothing really is going on except for she's doing everything that she can, being Katie, to try to talk him out of doing whatever he's going to do. So then he actually has her call her mom. He says, go ahead and call your mom up. And he wanted her to tell her mom that everything was going to be fine, that uh, they were going to hear a gunshot, but the gunshot that they were going to hear didn't mean that Katie was going to be dead. It just means that everything's going to be fine. It'll be over. <clears throat> then she said that she had to go get off the phone, and her mom was in agony because she says, this could be the last time I talk to my child. So at that point, it wasn't too much longer after that call, three gunshots rang out. The first shot was believed to be meant for Katie, but that Katie had deflected the gun as he pulled the trigger, and he missed. The second shot hit Katie dead in her chest, and the third shot, he put the gun into his mouth, and he pulled the trigger. So on January 16, 2007, Katie Key lost her life by a domestic violence murder-suicide. Jason McCartney shot her and then shot himself. Uh, and that pretty much is the case of Katie Key. So let's jump into it, Geneva. Katie Key, <laughs> 17 years old. Let's break it down a little bit. So uh, I know you haven't had the joy of raising teenagers yet. Uh, but I just want to clear this up. A lot of people probably out there listening to this is saying, well, how does she not know he, she's dating a 29-year-old man in secret? I you raised, know why? I raised well, a few um, teenagers in my time. I've got a 16-year-old right now, and I'm just going to say this on behalf of parents. No matter sneaky. what our best intentions are, right, they're sneaky. They do what they want to do. I'm blessed because my 16-year-old, I can break her down very, very, very easily. She can't lie to me at this point. She doesn't even attempt to, and she's kind of in the mindset that she wants to stay away from everything that is evil. But that's not necessarily everybody, and she hasn't found a young boy yet that's actually going to captivate her heart in that way to where she would want to do that. So at the beginning, what's your overall thought about 17-year-old Katie Key with uh, this 29-year-old man who they come back and say that they think that over time he became very controlling? Well, first of all, I'm more mad at him. Because here's the thing, at least in, in the situation that they're in a relationship. So hear me out before anyone comes for me, okay? But here is a thing. I have not, as my dad said, had the joy of raising teenagers. I'm on the brink, okay? I'm on the brink of raising a teenager. But I have been a teenager, <laughs> And teenagers are easily, whether boys or girls, I really I don't care. 
um, they're easily influenced and easily molded into what you want them to be. So my question is, what is a 29-year-old doing trying to involve himself with a 17-year-old? Now, mind you, I'm pretty much like the last person that's going to like judge off of like age and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let's just say, because uh, when I was 18, I dated a guy that was 28. And since then, I had dated men that are older than me okay so it's fine like the current person i'm with right now is 41 i'm almost 27 i'll be 27 in two weeks wow where has the time gone but well two weeks from thursday or a week actually no two weeks from thursday so um yeah so i'm the last person to judge however i don't believe in doing that under age that's where it's weird for me like if she one of them is 17 the other is 29 that ain't cool with me. Now, if she was 18 and he was 29, I would be like, I mean, she's 18. Like, what are you going to do? Except that she does live in her parent. you know, if she was still living in her parents' house, and I can understand where they may have some influence on that. But other than that, I'm just wondering why a 29-year-old is trying to be involved with a 17-year-old. That's, that's weird to me, but it's fine. Well, if anybody who knows me knows that I have this issue with age things. Oh, Lord. Uh, but for the kids in my house, no, that would not be happening. For one, I have certain thought patterns of why someone that old would want to be with somebody that young. Now, hear me out. This is just my belief. If you're 29 and 17, there's not a whole lot of things that you have in common. Other than at 29, you probably, hopefully you're established. You probably got some money. You probably got a car. Right. You're you have your own place to live. So that's very enticing to young people. But when it comes down to overall life, there's not a lot of things you have in common. You're born in two different eras. There's two different. If you're trying to have a conversation about uh, who the band Hanson is, you may not necessarily know that. Now, I'm not saying that this does not work. Right. Um, There's a lot of people out here who's married and they've got spouses that's 15, 20 years above them. And it works fine. But when it comes to a child versus an adult, it should never, ever, ever happen. And hence, later on down the cases where they start saying that, well, they believe he was with her because he became controlling and he became manipulative. And I think in Katie Key's case, it was all of the hype and the glam. And he was a very handsome young man. He wasn't ugly. He was very handsome and charming. And her best friend even said, hey, I can see why she would like this guy. Um, but... I don't know. My, my thought pattern is you want to be with somebody that young because you can manipulate them. You can get away with things that you can't get away with somebody who is currently your own age because they know a little bit more about life. So that became issue number one. All right. So let's talk about the best friend. Now, the best friend is the only one. And I, I apologize. I totally forgot to write down her name. Uh, but she is the only one that knew that this was going on with Katie. And I think me and you kind of had this discussion before, so let's discuss it here. Do you feel like at any time it was her job and her duty as her best friend to alert her parents that she was seeing this guy so that a stop could be put to it? I mean, it's kind of like I said before, it's like a yes and no thing for me because we... (sighs) 
the way that that she talks about it in the in the Home Alone episode makes me like it doesn't make her look great. You know what I'm saying? Like it makes her look like she knew it was wrong, but she didn't say anything. But at the same time, I mean, this was this Home Alone was years after it happened, so I have trouble knowing if it's if that was actually her thought pattern at 17 years old. Or if she has that thought pattern now that she's like twenty nine, so or, tw- or in her twenties, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that it wasn't necessarily her that she should not have taken the responsibility and gone to the parents, but also because I don't know her actual thought pattern, you know what I'm saying? Because they're not talking to her at seventeen years old in this document or in this documentary series, this docu series. It's hard for me to say well you take half the blame because you didn't do A, B, C, and D. Because it beca- just because that's how she portrays it now as I knew it was wrong, I should have gone to someone, blah, blah, blah. We don't necessarily know that she thought that way at 17. Because at 17, she might have been like, well, nothing that bad can happen because Katie knows this dude through her, fr- you know, through other friends or whatever, mutual friends, whatever. Um... And like I said before, when we were talking about Katie, 17-year-olds' minds and things like that are impressionable. They are easily influenced. So I don't necessarily know if I believe that she 100% knew. I think she knew right from wrong, but I don't necessarily think that she knew at 17 the danger that it could have caused. Like, even if she was told, I'm not sure that her brain actually you know was able to comprehend it so as a parent who's going through this i have a little bit of a different stance on it because the fact that i do the brain comprehends it but you have to have a parental unit that's kind of beating that into you and the reason i say that is well kind of an incident happened like that with madison madison has a best friend named logan logan is like my seventh child she's known logan since she's been in very early grade school now they're all in, in, in high school together but her parents is like mine. We inst- uh, it's like us. We instill in them, if there's something that is wrong that can harm someone and you think that it can, you need to break forth with that, no matter what pact you've taken, because catastrophic things can happen. We've talked about uh, making sure you're not taking body shots of yourself and putting them on uh, Twitter or whatever. We've barred her from certain things like Instagram because Instagram <laughs> runs rampant with that. But there was a series of text messages that had went out that her parents found and they sent a text message to us saying, we don't really want to get Madison in trouble, but we have, we want you to look into these. And it turned out that her and Logan was going back and forth to somebody. And that basically what it was, was she had asked Madison to text somebody because she came from her phone because there was all kind of locks on her phone. No, it's not that we don't have a lot of locks on Madison's phone because she is locked down, especially now that we release screen time on iPhone. But it's just that I, we trusted her more because Madison didn't do a lot of different things. And there was a lot of locks we were looking to put on that didn't work. Right. So in that case, we had the parental unit looking out to saying, hey, this is going on. And we wrote back and said, well, this is what we found out. We might want to ask Logan about this. I'm not blaming her mom because let's go back in 2007. Her mom was kind of technology challenged. But I do feel that if you... We've had talks with, Matt, with Madison and with Logan and said, look, 
if something's going on with either one of you that needs to come forward and one of you know it and we don't and it can potentially harm you or you see it going that way, you need to open your mouth and say something to somebody, no matter how mad you think the other person is going to become. So mine says that mine says back then was a lot differently. I will give you I will give you that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about um Mr. Jason. So we already said we don't know why at 29 he wants to be with a 17-year-old kid. Let's kind of examine that a little bit because the best friend even said that she could see why that he wanted to why she wanted to be with him. Let's just call it what it is. He did commit a crime because he committed statutory rape. Uh and he committed a second crime because by sending that photo to her mother was distributing of child pornography. Uh, what's your thought pattern? As a man, I can tell you that maybe it's because, like I said, he wanted power. He wanted control. Uh, she was naive at the time. She probably most likely was a virgin. Some, some guys prey on young girls because it's easier to get what they want from somebody who doesn't know anything. As a female, what, what's your thought pattern? Why would you think a 29-year-old would want to have anything to do with a 17-year-old child? Because he's gross. <laughs> Listen, it's one thing. Okay, take this from someone who looks really young in the face, but my body, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to be gross as, so I'm really trying to watch, like, how I say this. I look very young in the face. People look me in the face, and they assume that I'm only, like, 16. Like, when I went back to my job at McDonald's, there were new managers, new people there. I mean, there are some older, you know, old managers and old people that I worked with before. But there are a few that are new that were like, I said something about having four kids. And they were like, how old were you when you had your first one? Ten? You know what I'm saying? Because I don't look 27. Well, almost 27. Like, I asked one of the managers, I'm like, how old do you think I am? Because he was like, how old are you? I was like, how old do you think I am? He said 16. I was like, bro. At like 10 years, okay? But body-wise, I developed very early. So if a dude is only looking at what your body looks like, right? He might be like, well, she had the body of a 20-year-old, so I assume she was 20. So it's one thing to not know or for the girl to lie about how old she was. But this dude knew, which that's why it's nasty to me. Because it's one thing if she was like, oh, I'm 22, and like used a fake ID and all that stuff, which girls and men do, girls and boys. You know what I'm saying? People do that. But this dude was 29 and knew that homegirl was 17. So I'm a little bit confused as to what exactly it was that he thinks was cute about that. Well, for one, the, the, I think another big question should be, why was he hanging out with high schoolers in the first place? Because remember, she met him through mutual friends. Now, the documentary or the show Home Alone was very vague on that, so they never really said that the mutual friends was all high school or she had mutual friends that was older than high school. But still, he's hanging out with potential children, and he ends up getting himself a girlfriend out of it. Uh, now, she tried to break this off. Do you think, I mean, what, what, you're a young girl. Why would you want to be with somebody that old at that young? But what, what's enticing you 
to want to be with a man that's 12 years old. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Older than you are, who's left, who's left, uh, who's lived life already. In her case, I feel like it is kind of the thought of the unknown. Maybe she's trying to be more grown up than she is. Perhaps there was some kind of peer pressure from these friends that knew him. Like, oh, girl, he's cute. You should be with him. That kind of a thing. Um, I don't regret any of the relationships I've ever been in. But I will say that as even at 18, because at 18 I dated someone that was 28, in that situation, I was still very, like, immature. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, he was very immature, too. Like, let's just be real. But uh, I'm not going to mention any names. Just, like, I don't think he listens to this podcast. But just in case, like, he'll know who he is. But when I was 18 and I dated a 28-year-old, at first I was like, eh, no, not going to happen. Like, yeah, he's cute, but he's like 10 years older than me. Like, I'm not trying to do all that. You know what I'm saying? Because at 18, 28 is still like old to you. You know what I mean? Um, but it was kind of like we. this person I got set up by my friends and they were like, yeah, girl, just give him a chance, blah, blah. And then I did. And there you go. So we don't, I mean, we don't know necessarily. I mean, maybe he had a car. Maybe he was willing to give her things or gift her things that boys her own age wouldn't be able to give or gift her. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, but again, I mean, as far as he goes, that's all power. And probably he liked that he could basically make her do whatever he wanted because he was older than her and he could use that against her. But I think for her, it was more of like an excitement or... Um, you know, in excitement or, you know, the, the, the excitement of the unknown. Um, again, he's older than her. So maybe that made her think that he could do things or give her things that other people couldn't. Who knows? I mean, honestly, maybe she had just, I mean, because she seems like this, like well-rounded teenager that is very popular, doesn't really do anything wrong. Maybe this was just like her small act of rebellion because it doesn't really seem like she had any other ones. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like she was going out every weekend and partying or trying to sneak into clubs with fake IDs. And from the vibe I get, um, this might have been the only thing she's ever done that was wrong because everybody that talked about her said that they really had no problem and her parents said they never had a problem trusting her and so on and so forth. Later on the line, when they did do the Home Alone episode, they did interview her mother, Tammy Fellers, and Tammy made a couple of comments. One of them was uh, that you've got to be careful with your kids because they can be taken away in a blink of an eye. 
uh, which is what she said at the end of the episode. Now let's talk about the police, which is kind of getting to that, because there, which we were talking about here in a few minutes, a lawsuit was waged because they didn't fill out the police at all that they could. Now, Fincher, who is one of the head detectives on the case, had went out that night. Do you think that more could have been done the night that he ended up sleeping in the barn? Now, to recap that, from what we saw and what we read, the police was called. They walked around the perimeter of the house. Uh, her stepfather actually went in with a gun inside the barn and looked around in the barn and saw no one. Since he saw no one there and the police saw no one outside, the police just assumed that he left, and so did they. They got in the car, and they left. Now, that's important because in the lawsuit that they're waging, they're saying that they don't think the police did enough that night because they didn't bring out the canine dogs, they didn't do a foot search, none of that. Since they all thought he was gone, do you think it was the fault of the police for not at least bringing out a canine uh, or trying to go deeper into the barn to see if they could see him? Well, considering that the police are armed with things that are supposed to protect them, I feel like they probably could have done a more thorough search than just to walk. Because here's the thing. Yes, they walked the perimeter. Yes, her stepdad went into the barn. But if all he has is a gun, right, if he doesn't have a flashlight or anything like that, he's not going to know. You, I mean, a dude, a person, a grown man could hide in the shadows of a barn. I don't know if you've ever been inside of a barn, but there are plenty of shadowy areas that are big enough to camouflage you at, what are you, like 6'4"? So this dude, at least from what we saw in the documentary, he didn't look like he was some like big hulking dude. Like he seemed like pretty skinny and stuff like that. So it's not like he couldn't have hidden in the shadows of the barn, if if whoever went in to look in the barn didn't have a flashlight. Now, here's the devil advocate side of that. Now, I don't know how much you guys know about the police and their special units, but do you know what it takes to get an officer that it had that's a canine officer to come out to your area? Now, I, now I know more than likely now because it happens all the time around here. You just oh, they come with a canine, but sometimes you do make a regular police call. And a canine unit will show up. And that's usually because the canine unit was closer in proximity to you. But let's say that while he's sitting in front of your house, they call in and say, there's a missing person that we, we think we found remains. That canine unit has to be replaced right away. He has to jump in his car and leave because they're calling the dogs. So do you know what it takes to get a canine unit actually out to a resident? Well, see, okay, no. But also, I'm not necessarily saying they needed a canine unit. I'm saying that the police should have been the ones, even if the stepdad already went in, they should have been going into the barn as well with a flashlight. Right, and I agree or with five. that. I agree That's with what that. I'm saying. I'm not nece- I mean, I don't necessarily think that a canine unit was necessary, but I definitely think that if someone's going into a real dark barn, how are you going to find somebody if you ain't got no flashlight? On top of, if you've got at least... I'm guessing two officers, because most of the time when you get called out for something domestic or a crazy person trying to break into your house, you have at least two officers, because then you have an officer and you have their partner. They don't usually go out by themselves. You know what I'm saying? Even if one officer gets there first and another officer falls behind, usually there's at least two officers on the call. So that's two flashlights that could have gone in and looked around. 
Now, the reason I bring the canine unit up is because in their lawsuit, that's what they said. They said that they felt that the police could have brought the canine units out to take a look around the barn. So that's why I asked that question, because I do know that they're, they're considered to be a special unit. And if, if nobody ever knew this, if you have five officers on the scene, and that's including the cop that's driving the canine, co- the canine car, you actually have six because that dog is looked upon as an officer. Right. So they look at you have six officers on the scene, one that's doing a search. Uh, I don't know. Um, again, that was a vague part, right? They just said that her stepfather walked into the barn with a gun. They never said he went with a flashlight. They never said he had anything adequate, so we don't know. I do agree with you that the cops should have been behind him with guns drawn if they needed to and had flashlight over his shoulder. I do think in that part, um, they neglected it. The barn, at least the one that they had on TV, did not look like it was that big. It looked like it's about as big as what I call my barn out in the backyard that I have a hot tub. You open the doors to that thing, I can see the whole length of it. So I don't think it was going to be the way it looked. It, was, it wouldn't have took more than like five minutes to walk in, flip over some, some, bays of hay, uh, some hay bales, look up under things to make sure he wasn't there. Because the irony of it is, is he was there. He stayed there all night. And upon that text message, when they went back into the barn, they found two empty beer bottles and a blanket that he had used to cover himself up with. All right, so getting towards the end of this, let's go ahead and talk about, unfortunately, the actual murder-suicide that took place and how that all pretty much went down. So, again, as we said, Katie Key was left alone. Her parents broke work nights, and Jason had been stalking the house for goodness knows how long, waiting to get her by herself. He broke into the house. Now, the way he broke in is he tried to break the door, but once he couldn't, then he shot the door open. When her father, when her stepfather actually was able to get on the scene, he actually found two of the shotgun shells down there. She was found in a, in a closet talking on the phone to 911 where he instructed her to hang up the phone. He then barricaded the door with, with um, I call it a hiker's rope, but camping rope. Very strong stuff. So this is, becomes a, the, the big center of it. Do we think the police could have did anything else? Again, this is part of their, their parents' lawsuit saying they don't think they did everything they could have did that day, but she's barricaded in this room. And like I stated in the synopsis, with rope tied so good and so tight, it took them three or four times just to barrel through the door after all the shooting had took place. Do you think, think it would have been better for them to rush the scene Throw some tear gas in. Do you think there's anything else they could have done that night that would have probably saved her life? I personally don't think so. I mean, I, th- I think that it was kind of done once he realized that the police had been called. Because she called the police knowing that he was in the house. And then when she called the police, you know, he found her hiding in the bottom of her closet. <laughs> right. On the phone with the police. So I think once he realized that it wasn't actually her mom that she was on the phone with, it was the police. I think that it, I think it was a done deal. I think that she would have died one way, you know, regardless. And the thing is, is I, I, and I, and I understand where her parents were. And I'm going to say this because I can now say that, unfortunately, uh, which we're going to talk about this on the podcast here probably relatively soon. But as you know, last year in May, 
Beth and I had the biggest scare of our whole life because I get a phone call and my daughter says there's a shooting at the school. I can't reenact in words what it feels like as a parent to get that to get those words. But up until that point, I never said I knew what it was like to have a child in a situation where there could be a shooting because I didn't. It's horrific. It's horrifying. Your lungs, like, you have no air. Your heart stops. Your immediate thought is, what can I do to get to where it is? So in her case, I look at that, right? She's saying if this could have happened, my daughter could have been saved. But what she has to understand now is this now turned into a regular standoff situation. It's almost like going into a bank and taking somebody hostage and saying, I'm going to kill the first person if you don't give me some pizza. That's, that's basically what it was. It turned into a standoff situ- situation where now I think their fault was, why didn't we have any negotiators? Okay, if you if you watch the same ID special I did, they said like four different times, you know, it was a four and a half hour standoff. But I never once seen them say that they brought in a hostage negotiator. There was nobody on the phone trying to talk him down. The only phone call that came into the place was her mother, and he said, "Don't answer it." So I think in that case they failed because they didn't really take this as serious. I don't know how big the police department is out there. But in four and a half hours, I think you could have got somebody down there with knowledge that could have at least tried to talk this dude down because I think his biggest concern was he didn't want to go to jail. Because at one point, Katie even said, look, man, if you let me go, I won't press any charges. And he's like, well, why would you say that? And she says, well, look, we, we, can, we can downplay this. And he's like, you can downplay all of this, the gun and everything. You can downplay all of this. And he, she says, yes. And he goes, no, you can't because I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go to jail. This is where a hostage negotiator comes in play. What do you think about that? I do think they should have had a hostage negotiator because it seemed like the only negotiation that, I mean, they didn't really have any negotiation. Like the only thing that you really see is her call her mom. So yes, there should have been someone negotiating with him, especially if it was a four hour standoff. Like that seems like a really long time to not bring anyone in. (laughs) But, I mean, but also I'm not sure that, uh, that a hostage, I don't, I don't necessarily think that a negotiator would have helped the situation. I mean, I think that, I think honestly, once he found out that she called the cops, because his words were, why did you call the cops? You ruined everything. I think it was already in his brain that he was going to kill her. But we never Just do what, every, we never do what everything was. Right. I, I was like, what? I'm like, what's everything? Because, you know, at one point he says, uh, start packing. And she goes, why am I packing? He goes, well, we're going to go on a trip. So it's kind of like his brain was all over the place. Right. Well, I have a bunch of police out here. I don't want to open the door, but you need to start packing because we're going to go on a trip. We ain't coming back from this trip. And then as far as I'm concerned, as a parent, the more damning thing happened. All right. You got kids. How do you feel standing outside and Katie calls you and says, hey, mom, look, he wants me to tell you everything's going to be okay. Oh, you're going to hear a gunshot. Don't worry about it, though. Everything's going to be cool. And the question comes back, uh, is he going to shoot? Is he going to shoot you? I don't think so. Is he going to harm himself? I don't know, mom. This is potentially the last call you ever get from your kid. What's your how how are you feeling standing on that pavement right there, knowing this could be it? I mean, I would feel, 
I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I can't even say how it would feel because I've never even been in that situation. I mean, I would think that I would feel scared. I would feel traumatized. I would feel like someone needs to run into the house. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, it's like I said, like, I don't think that, um, I don't think that it necessarily would have, I just, I feel like she, I feel like she was dead the minute that he found out she called the cops, to be honest. Like, and, and it's, it's sad and it's, and it's, you know, tragic that that is how it was. But it's, I mean, it seems like when he broke in, maybe he would have attempted to do like a kidnapping situation, like where he had her pack her things and they left. But as soon as she called the cops, that was out of the question because if they leave that room, he's getting arrested. And the way I looked at it, because I picked up on another tidbit where her best friend had said that they were going to a party and her, Katie's ex-boyfriend was going to be there and Jason was not very thrilled about that. I think he had went in that room with the if I can't have you, nobody can mentality. Uh, now, you could be right. If the cops was never involved, nobody was ever coming home, maybe he was going to take her to some undisclosed location. But I still can't say for sure that she wouldn't end up deceased anyways because now it's even worse, right? She's, she's alone with him somewhere that nobody knows. Uh, and now we're looking at potentially having a missing person case for goodness knows how long. So the last piece of this is, so unfortunately, he ends up pulling the trigger, three shots, shoots her, uh, tries two once, she blocks it, he shoots her again, dead in the chest. I guess the best thing out of this, and her mom said the same thing too, is that the cop says that she died instantly so so she didn't suffer. And then he turned the gun on himself. So the very last part is about the lawsuit. So let me kind of give you a little bit of the lawsuit because that's what we've been hinting to because all we've been talking about is what her parents legitimately is suing for. Um, she named several officers in the lawsuit. She named Sheriff Burns in his official capacity, Officer Captain John Huffian individually. So what happened is she sued some of these guys in their official capacity as cops, and she sued some of them individually, meaning them personally, and some of them individually and in his official capacity, which means professionally and personally. So they're trying to hit on every side. So John Huffine, visually in, in his official capacity, Officer D, uh, Detective Sergeant Mike Fincher, uh, who was on the, the, the show individually and in his official capacities. Unknown John Doe officers of the Greene County Sheriff's Department individually and in their co- official capacities in the Greene County Sheriff's Department in Greene County, Tennessee. He says this action is also pursuant to Tennessee Code annotated TCA 88302 for damages for the wrongful death of Katie Key as a result of the misconduct of Greene County Sheriff's Department officers. So I apologize, I did say North Carolina. I meant to say she's from Tennessee. Um, The complaint notes that Tammy Fellers and Gary Key are residents of Greene County and the natural parents and next of kin of Katie Key. The Greene County Sheriff's Department is part of Greene County, Tennessee, a governmental entity under the Governmental Tort Liability Act. On January 16, 2007, at approximately 2 a.m. at the residence of Tammy Fellers, Katie Key was killed by a single shotgun blast at the hands of Jason McCamey, the complaint says. Then they go to say at about 10 p.m. on the previous day, January 15, Jason McCamey 
had entered the residence of Tammy Fellers by blasting the back door out with the discharge of a shotgun. Katie Key immediately called 911 while hiding herself in an upstairs bedroom closet. The Greene County Sheriff's Department responded to Katie Key's 911 call, but failed to take appropriate action. The response from the Greene County Sheriff's Department was led by the sheriff himself, Steve Burns. The actions or inactions of Sheriff Burns and the other members of the Greene County Sheriff's Department were the actual and legal cause of Katie Key's death, the complaint states. How do you feel about that? That's what I was saying. So they're saying because they felt like when I'm getting the 911 to the got there, they should have rushed into the house right there and start kicking down doors that since they didn't do this, this resulted in Katie's death. I don't think, first of all, they wouldn't have been able to kick in the door the way he tied it. Second of all, I don't think it would have done anything because I think that once they started trying to get through the barricade that was the door, I think that he would have shot her. Right. And he would have had time to kill her and himself before um, before they got through that door. They also state that, now we didn't see this in the documentary, that says that among the defendant's actions or inactions was led to the foreseeable death of Katie Key was the failure to investigate and arrest Mr. McKamey despite their affirmative understanding or undertakings on behalf of Katie Key and their knowledge of probable cause to arrest Mr. McKamey without a warrant on several charges. The failure to properly secure and or control the crime scene and hostage situation and the failure to provide adequate officer support and or engage the services of a special response team to properly handle the foreseeable risk presented by the hostage situation. And that's what I was just saying. When they're talking about the special response team, that would be a hostage negotiator. I still say they should have called one of those in. And then I ain't going to read the whole complaint, but it goes back to the other part we were talking about where later on in the suit, they do say that they are also suing because they felt like that Katie Key had died because of the fact that they did not take appropriate action when he stepped in the barn that night. And one of those actions being calling in the K-9 unit. All right, so in closing... What's your final thoughts on the Katie Key stalking murder-suicide at 17-year-old case? I think that it's tragic and it's horrible. And I don't necessarily think that there's anyone to blame except the person that killed her. To be honest, um, I mean, her parents attempted to do the things that they were told to do. The friend was 17, so I can't even, I mean, it, it's, it would be one thing if it was like some of these other docuseries where we talk to, or, you know, where they interview the friends of the teenager that died when they're still teenagers, you know what I'm saying, within a year or even two years. But, I mean, this happened in 2007, and I think that that episode aired, like, last year last or something. Year, yeah. So... I mean, that's 10 years since it happened. You know what I mean? And a lot happens in 10 years. You got to have a lot of time to think about the events that have happened in 10 years. You, you know what I mean? So her perspective of this is completely different, I think, than from what it may have been when she was 17. So I feel, I mean, I don't know. And Katie, you know, yeah, she got herself in too deep, but she also tried to break it off and end what she had started. 
So I can't even really blame Katie and say, oh, well, you were dumb for doing this. You know what I mean? Because, again, she was 17. So, yeah, at 17, most people make really dumb choices. You know, most of the time they don't end in our demise. Um, But I feel like he got so possessive by the end of it that she broke it off. She tried to break it off and he was like, "Uh, no, that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? So the only person that I can really put blame on, you know, is is him. That's my opinion. Well, my opinion on it is this. Uh, it's very tragic. It's horrible. We should be burying our, uh, our children should be burying us the other way around. I'm not going to lay and put any blame on the parents because you have to look at what the time it was. She wasn't very into technology uh, and a parent can only react to what a parent knows. So in this case, Katie wasn't acting any differently. She wasn't acting any strangely. Only one other person knew that she was dating this older man. Her parents didn't catch wind of it until her secret cell phone went off. And at that point attempted to put a stop to it, which kind of started off this ticking time bomb of events that we have. I will say this to the rest of the people that's listened to this. And if you are parents, especially of teenagers, be the bad guy. You need to know what your kid is doing at all times. If you are giving them cell phones, you have to understand that you are giving them that cell phone. You own that phone. You need to be in tune of what they're doing on that phone. Because this is a lot of, the, this is a lot of ways between your phones and your tablets and your computers that kids are plotting these things out. Uh, talk to your kids. No technology. I can't stress this enough. I have one person in my house who doesn't know it, and they won't never know it, and they're going to be left behind. If you are a parent, you owe it to yourself and your kids to know technology. You need to know what Instagram does. You need to know what Twitter does, what Facebook does. You need to know how to open up a file if you need to on a phone to make sure that someone's potentially not trying to harm your children. So as parents, we have to be more proactive. That's something that Tammy Fellers who's Katie Key's mom, has now said and said on the documentary, she keeps saying it by saying, you know, know what your, child, your children is into and make sure that you're in tune with them because they could be gone in an instant. So tragically as it is, I hope that Katie Key does rest in peace and I hope that her story can help other 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 15-year-olds not walk into this situation. All right, with that being said, Geneva, do you have any shout-outs for today? Yes. So, Funeral Stories, Season 2. Why are you going to take my shout-out? Well, because we didn't discuss shout-outs before we started but this, so what, it's what, fine. I was going to say, though. Well, I'm sorry, but listen, <laughs> I already done started, okay? So, Funeral Stories, Season 2 has officially dropped as of today. Um, they did make an announcement on their Instagram that they're dropping like part two or second episode or something along those lines. Um, late, like tonight at some point, I haven't been able to check because we've been recording. Um, but I did listen to the, to, to it this morning. Um, so yeah, cause we love Laura and Casey. Okay. Yes. We love them. Laura and Casey, my my fellow Georgians from way down South and way across. Yeah, if you guys haven't checked them out, make sure you do drop in and check out Laura and Casey. We are very excited that they are back for season two. We've been waiting. All right. Anything else that you got on your brain today? Not really. That's about it. 
All right, once again, guys, we thank you and appreciate you being here with us. Uh, if we sound a little rusty, forgive us. We get better over time. This is our first time talking about a whole different case <laughs> after 13 long weeks. 13 weeks. Oh, you know what? I got one more thing to say. Phyllis, next time that you decide you want us to pick a documentary, please pick a shorter one. But also, I love you and you're my best friend, so... It's fine. And I just have to point out that she has said that same thing in the last three episodes. So you know that the staircase must really, really, really be working on her nerves. She, Phyllis has also gotten countless text messages about how she needs to pick a short documentary last time. And every time I send her a text message, she laughs at me. So it's fine. It's fine. That's what happens when you are best friends, sisters from another mister and all that good stuff. So you do want to make sure you tune in next week. Next week, we are going to be tackling the case of Molly Tibbetts. That was going to be a big one. And that's going to be Geneva's case. We do appreciate all of you guys for listening to us. We do know you have other choices in true crime. And we thank you for sticking with us. Please remember to rate, comment, and subscribe, especially if you're on iTunes. That does help us push us up the chart and also lets us know what we are doing well and what you would like to see us do better. If you want to get an, an idea of exactly what it's like to do a podcast and at least what our journey is and the equipment that we use and why our sound sounded so horrible in the first 11 episodes, uh, Patreon, if you want to support the show, for uh, we went to one $5 tier. So $5 tier gets you everything that we thought that there's going to be extra. We usually upload the cases early. They'll be all ad-free. Then you get special tidbits, so one, one case a month. That's something different, maybe different than true crime, but definitely something that won't be here. And then you get little behind-the-scenes things like the whole entire thing we're going to talk about uh, with how to do a podcast. So with that being said, we thank you. And as always, don't commit any crimes out there. So you don't end up on our podcast. Thank you for listening to A Day With Crime. Artwork created by Geneva McClam. Sound mixing and editing done by David McClam. Don't forget to subscribe and join us on our social media outlets at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash a day with crime, Twitter at a day with crime, Instagram at a day with crime. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash a day with crime. You can also email us at a day with crime at gmail.com and youtube.com forward slash a day with crime. Thank you for listening, and as always, a crime a day keeps the doctor away. Until next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.